Glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Paul Olson. So glad to be here with you. I am the pastor of Global Impact in Adult Ministries here. And last time I was uh, preaching, I had just returned from a pilgrimage to Israel. And I'm going to share about that trip next week in between the two services in the atrium. So if you want to join me, join me at 10 o'clock. Uh, you'll have to come to the second service if you want to get the whole thing. But I'm going to do two Sundays next Sunday and the following on just sharing about what the, the, the trip was all about to Israel. And um, I'd love to be able to share more uh, about that with you. So also please pray uh, with the Global Impact team. We are hitting the ground running. We are uh, taking a trip to the Texas-Mexico border on June 7th, beginning on June 17th. Uh, three of our Global Impact team members plus uh, someone from Espiritu Santo and my son John, the six of us, are going to go uh, on June 17th there. So please remember us in your prayers as we prepare to go. Uh, since I was young, I was always fascinated with going new places, exploring. Uh, when I was eight, I decided to go for a hike behind my neighbor's house. There's a big ravine there. Uh, my mom wasn't home at the time. Um, so some of you already know where maybe this is going, but um, <laughs> behind this house was a steep ravine, thick woods, and some low land that led over to the Mississippi River. So me and my friend took off down the hill, and after a while we looked back and we realized that a whole gaggle is a, of kids, about four or five years old, had followed us down the hill uh, to, to go on this little adventure. And after about a few hours, these four and five-year-olds were starting to get a little cranky. They wanted to go back home, but I really wanted to go down the ravine and go, actually go back up the ravine and explore there in the ravine. So up we went, and boy, we found a lot of cool stuff, like old tires and me rusty metal things and lots of cool things to climb on. <laughs> and uh, the, one of the four-year-olds started crying, and I thought my eight-year-old brain was kind of like, okay, maybe we need to start heading back, I guess. <laughs> and um, so we finally uh, came out of the woods, and there were the parents of all the kids lined up uh, right in front of us, and I said, well, we're back. Uh, <laughs> um, my neighbor, who was an EMT, uh, rushed down the hill to, to rescue the four-year-old who had gotten stuck in the bushes. Um, <laughs> and uh, what a memory, what a memory. But in this series, we have been exploring a God who is leading Israel through a wilderness. God leading the people through the wilderness in the book of Exodus, and God gives us a description of who this God is. We know what God is like because God says, in, through the cloud, there on the mountain, he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so here in this last sermon of this series, we're going to look at faithfulness and one heart that we have is that as a church, we want to be so secure in who we know God to be that we can follow him faithfully. If we know God as this, compassionate, gracious, steadfast in his love, slow to anger, we can be confident when it comes to living faithful lives following after him. So it's that last word, faithfulness, that we're going to focus on today, and we're going to dig into the book of Genesis where we see that word first appear. So let's watch the Bible Project video on the word faithfulness 
here in Exodus 34, 6, and then we'll come back. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this last characteristic of God. It's the Hebrew word emet, which can be translated as faithfulness or even truth. It's related to another word you've probably heard before, amen, which is an untranslated Hebrew expression meaning that's truth. So emet can mean truth and it can refer to correct ideas or concepts. This is because emet has to do with stability and reliability, like when Moses holds up his hands for hours to defeat Israel's enemies, the Amalekites. His friends put a rock under him and support his hands so that his hands will remain emet or steady. When emet is used of people, it describes reliable and stable character or trustworthiness. Like when Moses appoints leaders in Israel, they're to be people of emet, people who are trustworthy, who won't take bribes or distort justice. So to say that God is full of emet doesn't just mean that God tells the truth or stands for truth. It means that God is faithful and trustworthy. This is why Moses calls God a rock, saying that he's faithful, just, and upright. He's saying that he can trust God to be consistent to his character. And the Hebrew word for trust is actually the verb form of the word emet. It's he'emin. It can be translated as to believe or to have faith, but most basically it means to consider someone trustworthy or to trust. The first person we meet in the Bible who considers God to be trustworthy is Abraham. God makes a promise that Abraham and his wife Sarah will have a huge family and that through them, all nations will experience God's blessing. But Abraham and Sarah are really, really old, and they've never been able to have any children. And yet, in the face of these challenges, Abraham means God. He considers God trustworthy to open a way forward. And God does show Emet to Abraham and Sarah. In just four generations, their descendants form a whole nation called Israel. And God invites Israel into a trusting and faithful relationship. And when God leads them out of slavery in Egypt, Israel means in God. They trust and rely on him. But when they come to the land God promised to Abraham, and they find out it's filled with giant cities protected by giants, their trust in God's Emet fails. But eventually, we meet an Israelite who does trust God in the face of giants. It's David. He yells at the giant, You come with a sword and a spear, but I come with the name of the God of Israel. David consistently relies on God. In fact, it said that David walked in Emet before God. So David considers God to be faithful and responds with faithfulness. This is why God promises to raise up a faithful descendant of David, whose kingdom will endure forever, or in Hebrew, have emet. This faithful king will become the source of trust and stability for others forever. But when the kingdom later collapses, the Israelites find themselves without a home and without a king. And they cry out, Oh God, where is your loyal love that you swore to David in your emet? They're accusing God of abandoning his promises to Abraham and to David. Is God trustworthy? Is he faithful after all? The first line of the New Testament is an answer to that question. This is the lineage of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
In other words, through Jesus, God fulfills his promises. Or as Paul says, Jesus came on behalf of God's faithfulness. He is the faithful king whose kingdom will endure forever and who invites all nations to trust God. Now, trusting anyone is risky. It's hard to know if anyone is really full of emet. But the biblical story portrays a God who's been faithful all along and whose promises were fulfilled in the story of Jesus. And so as we look out at the obstacles facing us and our world, we're invited to take that same risk and join Abraham, David, and the people of God in trusting that God is overflowing with faithfulness. wonderful Bible Project video. Their goal is to show us how the, the grand story of the Bible uh, leads us to Jesus. And I think this video is no exception in that, in that the faithfulness of God leads us to Jesus. The word emet, emet or uh, emet or emet is a word that can be translated a few different ways and is translated a few different ways in the Bible. Uh, first one is faithfulness is the most common translation. Another kind of translation is just the word truth. So emmet will, will, will mean exactly just truth. A word that I like that one translation used is the word fidelity. Fidelity in the dictionary means faithfulness to something which one is bound to by pledge or duty. I like to think about God, the creator, the one who sustains all things by his word, being the one who is faithful to uphold all things by his word. And his commitment to us is his care and his love for us. That is his emmet, that is his faithfulness, it's his fidelity to us. As was mentioned the first time in the Bible this appears, this word emmet appears as a verb form, and it's Abraham who believes God, and it is accounted to him by God as righteousness. He believes God and is reckoned to him, as some translations say in Genesis 15, 6, as righteousness. God promises Abraham that his family would become a great nation, as numerous as the sands on the seashore, as was illustrated in the video. Though through this promise, the, all the families would be blessed, and Abraham's would, a family would continue on. But as the story progresses, we see that Abraham falters and Sarah falter. They don't always believe God. They don't always trust in God. They have issues as they move forward into life, Abraham uh, and Sarah both laugh at God when God tells them you're going to have a child. Granted, they were 99 years old, right? Um, they failed to trust God. Uh, Abraham passes off his wife as his sister to, the, to fool the king. That's kind of not trusting God, right? They struggled with children. They had family drama. They had jealousy, bitterness, anger, resentment, kind of all the opposite things that God is, Right? They struggled, but the common thing was that even in the midst of setbacks and sin, they continued to trust. So Abraham believes, but he doesn't possess faithfulness. The next time Emmet appears in the Bible is chapter 24 of Genesis, and that's where we're going to look at today. So if you open up your Bibles or on your phone or the pew Bible in front of you, we'll be using the NIV translation today. We're going to go through chapter 24. We're going to look at a story that has to do with Abraham, but is really about the servant of Abraham. Out of the mouth of this servant, we read this in chapter 24, verse 27. It says, Praise be to the Lord 
the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness, his hesed. That was last week's word that Pastor Stephanie preached on. God has not abandoned his hesed and faithfulness, emet, to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey. He says, we're going to look at that journey this week because I think it holds for us some keys on how we might understand both the faithfulness of God and how to follow God faithfully. And again, let me tell you, there are times when I have not lived faithfully, and if you're like me, you've gone your own way in some way, shape, or form, and it didn't turn out so well, and you ended up lost, or you ended up hurting yourself or others, or you found that you were just even more lost than when you began. God's emmet, God's faithfulness, is all written into this story, and we're going to look at that together and find some application at the end. So the story begins with Abraham, who's very old. He comes to his senior servant with a family task. Let's look at that. Verse 2, he said to his chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, where they then lived, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. Okay, so again, this is an ancient culture, and let me just tell you, if this promise, if this marriage arrangement doesn't happen, we are talking about an economic, social and now let's add in God to the picture, a religious spiritual disaster. If this does not occur, if Isaac does not get married, if Isaac does not have a child, the promise cannot continue, and therefore God is unfaithful, Abraham is unfaithful, the servants are unfaithful, Isaac is unfaithful. A lot is riding on this moment right here in chapter 24. It's almost like a hinge in the, in the book of Genesis, really. Arranged marriages were common. Masters and servants were common. So we're in an ancient story, so go with me here a little bit. For the sake of our understanding, we just need to know that this arrangement is necessary. It's absolutely 100% has to happen. The servant quickly is quick. He's wise. He, he assesses the difficulty of what Abraham is asking him to do. You mean I just can't go out into the village next door and get a bride for Isaac? You mean to get the camels, water them up, take enough supplies to travel 400 miles away through the hot desert? And what if she says no? (laughs) That's the next verse. Verse 5, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? Oh yeah, that, that's, that could happen. Abraham says, if she doesn't, you're released from this oath in verse 8. If the woman is unwilling to come back, then you will be released from this oath. Okay, again, ancient culture here. Arranged marriage. Back in Abraham's old village in Babylon, 400 miles away, could be a girl who was willing to do all this. What kind of girl would do this? If it doesn't work out, Isaac is stuck. The servant is stuck. The whole promise falls apart. The servant is in a bind. He's subject to Abraham's wishes, Isaac's need, 
And the decision of a young girl he doesn't even know exists yet, 400 miles away, in a village he's never been to. So the servant takes an oath, commits to the task, and then we read on in verse 10. So go ahead and hope your Bible's there. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and left. So he did take the oath. He said, I will do it. So help me God, is how we, do, how we say our oaths, right? So help me God, I will do this. He leaves, taking with him all kinds of good things. And the NRSV says choice gifts. I'm imagining lots of very nice gifts for a dowry. He takes them from his master, Abraham. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Okay. Then he prayed. Then he prayed. Okay? So he prays. And what does he pray? Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Kindness, again, has said, make me successful, Lord. What I love about this is that we're privy to the process of the servant. We get to hear how the servant goes along in this journey. He gets those gifts together. He's got probably perfume, vases. I say it that way because it's fancy. Fancy vase from... (laughs) Maybe it has some Canaanite inscription on it. Really cool looking, foreign looking. He goes to the place where women gather water. He's done everything he can to set it up just the way. But let's notice the fact that 400 miles later, this servant is still praying. 400 miles is Milwaukee. Oh, about like 50 more miles and into the ocean or into the lake, you got Milwaukee beyond that. And we drive it, right? We don't even like driving to Milwaukee. I don't. But maybe some, maybe some people do. It's Wisconsin. But here he's walked. He's, he's walked. Sorry for the people in, from Wisconsin. I'm sorry. It's just the, the, the distance was the right distance. <laughs> um, he's, he's walking with camels and, and, and heavy stuff with him. This is not a fun journey. He's arrived there. He's waiting at the well. And suddenly, a bunch of people are coming out to the well in the evening. And he's still praying. And, and here's what he prays next. And I think that this will come through in the application part, but pay attention here. Verse 14 and 15. We'll pick up the story there. He prays this. So first he says, See, Lord, I'm standing beside the spring. The daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll uh, I'll, I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown Hesed kindness to my master. Okay, so he makes a request of God that goes beyond the initial thing, right? There's all these people coming out to the well. He sees all these women coming out to the well, but Lord, how do I even know which one she is? Ten camels times 20 gallons each, about, that's 200 gallons of water. What girl, first of all, (laughs) let's go over this again, 
will agree to marry someone she's never met, move 400 miles away, give a drink to a stranger, which was kind of customary, but nevertheless, kind, and water the camels. 200 gallons of water. No problem. I can get that out of the well right away. I've, I've actually done that. I've, I've Not 200 gallons. A gallon of water out of a well? It's hard work. Very hard work. What kind of person would even consider doing this? Suddenly, a girl, very fair in appearance, the Bible describes, walking towards the well, bearing containers for water, appears. And we pick that back up in verse 17. The servant hurried to meet her and said, uh, the NRSV says, the servant ran to her. (laughs) The servant ran to her. Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Whew. She said yes to the camels. (laughs) She watered the camels. So next time you meet that person that you think you're going to date, go home to mom and say, she said she watered the camels. (laughs) Strange, I know. This is an ancient story. She's watering the camels. It's a sign that the Lord has given success to the servant. So the rest of the story is really history. She's agreeing. She goes forward, takes the servant back to her home, meet, meet the parents, and the servant arranges the dowry. They say yes, and she begins her journey back home. Now, let's review the story and pick out some points we can understand theologically and practically. The servant showed incredible commitment to Abraham because it's based in God's faithfulness. How is it that we can live lives where we make commitments? Is it because people are so great? Is it because Abraham was so incredibly faithful all the time, every time? Commitment is rare today. Why is it rare today? Because we often break commitments as human beings. We are not emet with things. It's rare to find people totally committed to something, anything, anyone. We have commitments in our lives like marriage, committing to other family members to do things, uh, commitments covenant to church or our jobs. We click a box on a phone to buy a house. (laughs) The last two houses I bought was on my phone. It's incredible. But when we do that, we commit We make a loyal commitment. The servant demonstrates to us what it means to make a loyal commitment. Not because all these people around us are so faithful, but because God is faithful. And because he makes a commitment in this way, he next receives a promise from God as confirmation that his way is secure. Uh, Let's go back and read verse 7. Read verse 7. Abraham says this to the servant after asking that question about whether she'll come or not. 
Abraham said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, that Lord, he will send his angel before you so that you can get away from my son there. So Abraham in this kind of prophetic moment, this moment of, of inspiration and, and of word coming forth from Abraham says to the servant, I promise you'll get it because the angel of the Lord is going before you. Wow. The angel will announce it. Angel is sometimes uh, synonymous with a messenger. God will send God's messenger ahead and give you success. Inquiring further of Abraham, the servant wanted to be sure of the emet or fidelity or faithfulness, truthfulness, that God will accomplish the purposes and promises made. And let me just say this. Asking reasonable questions, which the servant did. What if she doesn't want to come back, right? Asking reasonable questions is good. It doesn't mean that you distrust God. Asking reasonable questions might actually let you see just how much it's going to cost you. Just how, just how difficult the task ahead of you might be. Jesus said, after all, before you build a house, count the cost. Servant asks reasonable questions. And now, when you ask those reasonable questions, maybe you need to get people around you to help you ask reasonable questions. Maybe there's people already speaking into your life and you're going, no, 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 not listening to you. Right? <laughs> I've done that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to be led by me. That's not what the servant does. Next, the servant begins the journey and continues to pray for clarity even after making his difficult oath. Even after hearing the word that the angels are going to go forward, that God's going to give him success, he continues to pray along the way. The, the task is not done. He's got to make the steps. And the stipulation that he offers, she must draw water for the camels, is difficult. On top of all the other things, she's going to have to draw water for the camels, and I'm not going to back down from that. I can just hear the servant. I'm not going to back down from this, Lord. She has to draw water for the camels. Not just drawing water for my men or for me, or maybe just kind of halfway doing the camel. No, she's going she's gonna, to she's gonna, uh, water the camels. What I love about following a God who is gracious, compassionate, kind, slow to anger, is that we can hear his voice, but we can also request of God things. We can have a relationship with God and say, God, if you're asking me to do this, would you show me this? Would you help me with this? Yeah, it makes it more difficult. It might make you even more difficult to deal with when you're buying a house. God showed us this. This is our final offer. <laughs> if we don't get it, that's it. I want to pause here because I think there's, this, is, this is really the crux of I think the lesson that we're looking at here, one pastor commenting on this verse said that the servant's prayer back to God was reasonable, difficult, but not absurd. He was asking God something reasonable. It was difficult. You know, what are the chances of that? But not absurd. Uh, let me give you some examples, and maybe these fit into your life as well. When I began searching for my first call at a church, I asked the Lord for a loving congregation. That's reasonable, right? 
<laughs> the, first, the first service laughed at that. <laughs> I don't know why. But no, some churches are not loving to their pastors. Um, I also asked for a church that would affirm women in ministry. I also asked the church, uh, God for a church that would have a great heart for the poor. I also asked God for a church that would be nearby to one of our families. Okay, now we're starting to stack up some things. It's getting difficult, right? And Grant, it's difficult. This is difficult. And a church that's faithful to teachings of Christ. Difficult, but not absurd. Reasonable, yeah. Difficult, yeah. But not absurd. Here's another one. We began to explore the merger idea of two churches coming together. And we thought it's reasonable to consider that we think about things in a similar way. That's reasonable. So, Pastor Steph, what do you guys think about this? Well, here's what we think about this. And we began to go point by point through our theology. There was actually 24 points of agreement. We found, we found, whoa, we got some agreement here. This is great. But we didn't stop there. We said, we would like for every single leadership team member on both sides to agree to this. And not just halfway, but really agree. And we would like for the two congregations to vote at at least 90%. And we would like some financing to do some work to the church. And we'd like a 12-week deadline and a a new ADA bathroom. (laughs) Right? We'd like all these things. Lord, this is reasonable, it's difficult, but it wasn't absurd. We had to trust. We, this was, this was a, an act of faith of our two churches. It's an amazing thing to be a part of. Let me turn it to you. You receive a call for, from God for ministry. You begin to faithfully walk down that road. So you're going to ask for God to help you along the way. Lord, I'd really love to serve in the arts ministry. But I, want, I, I sense that I need to live among the artists in order to do that. That's difficult. We know how difficult artists can be. <laughs> I got an amen from that in the first service. <laughs> it's expensive. It's expensive. Even just to live in northeast Minneapolis, it's expensive. How are you going to pay for that, right? Here's another one. Lord, I know that you're leading me to talk to this person, but I have no idea what to say. Lord, would you supernaturally show me something about their life so that when I do talk to them, they know that that conversation is coming from you? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever prayed for that? The person will be shocked. How did you know that? But God certainly does move in that way, and you have to know your gifting. You have to know that you're gifted to speak with people in that way, prophetically or otherwise. But we don't, often, we don't often pray that way and ask God for difficult things. But here the servant is, it's just piling on the difficulty. God, you are faithful. You said this would come to pass. And these things I need to see in order to know that this is what you have. Lord, I feel pre- called to preach the word of God. I haven't preached anywhere yet or even to myself. 
I'm just waiting for Billy Graham's ministry to call me and let me take over. That's absurd, right? <laughs> that's absurd. That's, that's not going to happen. Billy Graham's not calling. He, well, he passed away, but... <laughs> he, the Billy Graham ministry is not going to call you. So start teaching. Start preaching. Preach to yourself. Study. Go to Bible college. Study online. Go to Bible Project. Learn. Begin. Begin. <laughs> Begin. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. The servant says, The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Literal translation, being on the way the Lord led me. Being on the way the Lord led me. I was on my way. I had taken the steps. I had faith and believed in God that his promises were true and I'm going to be led by you every step of the way. See, we don't contain, here's the problem. We don't contain the measure of faithfulness that is necessary to follow God. We in and of ourselves. Abraham didn't fully contain it. Sarah didn't fully contain it. The great prophets, even then, they did not contain fully the faithfulness necessary to walk the walk that God had commanded the people to walk. And so many theologians and preachers have looked at this story in the past and they've said, wow, this servant is really an extraordinary person to walk in such a way faithful to what God's promises were. And they have said, this servant who goes unnamed through the entire story is a prefigurement, a symbol of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. The servant is sent from the father's house to go to a faraway land. The servant, before the servant gets there, the angels are there. The servant who is filled with loyal love receives the promises of the father. The servant who with wisdom makes requests of God accomplishes through a difficult task only something God could achieve. The servant who brings a bride home to be wed into the purposes of God to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This servant, this servant is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. The Apostle Paul explains in the New Testament. So Jesus came with all the promises. He trusted in the faithfulness of God, demonstrating for us the wisdom and power of God that we being drawn to him as the bride would be joined together in the Father's house. Jesus said, I am the way, the emet, and the life. I am the way, the truth, the faithfulness, and the life. This was him communicating that he was the true son of God. Jesus would make it clear, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed and tell this mountain to be cast into the sea and it will happen. And what Jesus wasn't saying was that have more faith. Just have more faith. No, he was saying put your faith in the right place. Put it in me. And watch me be faithful to what God has asked you to do. Watch me play out in front of you, the story of your life. I want God to lead me like that. I want this God to lead me 
I know you do too. And if you haven't seen him lead you in that way, it's time to take that first step. God can, Jesus can be your Savior. Will he be your Lord today? I want to leave you with a few stories and images that I hope encourage you to take some action steps today. Uh, these are just kind of images that popped into my head this week as I thought about the Lord who leads us and the Lord who is faithful. The first one is of Colby's uh, seventh grade band concert. She's in the crowd there somewhere playing saxophone. But uh, you can see the conductor there has a platform. And what I watched happen was the, the conductor stepped onto the platform and all the students, their instruments were up. And then she raised her arms and the, all the students put their instrument to their mouth. And then she counted off the first measure and they all played what was written for them on the page they had been given. Is the Lord the conductor of your life? Have you jumped up on the conductor's stand, conducting everyone and everything? Or are you there waiting for the conductor to stand on the podium and begin the music that God has written for you? Are you playing the notes on the page he has written for you? Here's the next image. Also, uh, one of my children, <laughs> my oldest, Asher, uh, is a track athlete. And uh, he's uh, in a relay here getting a baton from the previous runner, the first runner. It's a four-by-two relay. He comes around the corner going at full speed trusting that the next one, Asher, who was in line, to already be moving in the same direction and fast. Asher needs to be up to full speed by the time he gets that handoff, right? Here's Asher. You've got to get moving. You begin to run with your back to the person running behind you, wait for the sound, reach back, and get the baton and run at full speed to hand off to the next person. And so to all the younger people in here, are you ready to receive the handoff from this older generation? Are you ready to take the baton of faith into the next seasons of the life of this church and of this city and of this nation and this world? I invite you to start running. Start running today. Are you ready to receive the handoff? And I like this one. Are you staying in your lane? <laughs> Just like the music pages. The music that's written on the page, that, that's, that's your lane. That's what God's asked you to do. If you divert from that, it could be disaster, disqualification. Stay in your lane. This last image I share, just even reflecting on the death of uh, Pastor Tim Keller and thinking about how he faithfully walked in death. There was another example of this from when I first came as a pastor to uh, Elam Church, and that is... Uh, Bruce and Carolyn Pinky. Carolyn uh, is a member of our church today, and Bruce passed away in 2017. I had never met anyone, well, I've met a few people like Bruce, and you'd be talking to Bruce, and suddenly you'd be telling him about something, and he, suddenly he'd be praying to God. It's just like he believed God was in the room or something. <laughs> but it was like a reminder to me every time he did that, because, oh yeah, God is right here. And Bruce would just pray. 
And everything, the way that God had led them in their many, many decades of missionary work in Africa and beyond, Bruce exemplified that kind of faithfulness to me. He was diagnosed with stage four advanced cancer in June, which is where I took that picture of North Minneapolis of the houses just around Bruce's house and a beautiful scene. But inside the house, it was tough. Bruce was in a lot of pain. He was hurting. And Carolyn even told me yesterday as I talked to her about this that he was having to accept what was happening. And we would ask him tough questions. Bruce, do you know how long you can hold up? He said, I don't know. Went back to see him again. I think it was June, late June or July. I said, Bruce, how, how's it going? He said, well... I looked out the window and I saw a vision of a snowflake. Like, I looked out the window and I said, Bruce, it's July. <laughs> it's July. There's no snowflakes out there. We continue to meet with Bruce the rest of July, the rest of August, the rest of September, to the end of October. And I was at home, family and the kids. Suddenly it started snowing. First snow of the year. I knew immediately. Step two, it arrived. Step one was walk faithfully with illness and sickness and cancer. For Bruce, it meant accepting that reality. It meant sharing that reality with family over and over and over. Seven or nine times his son came out from the West Coast. He had two other cancer patients he met with on a regular basis. He had a ministry of death and of dying. But all he got was a snowflake. The only vision he had was snow in July, which does ha could happen in Minnesota as well. But step one, Follow what God has said and watch God work. Let's pray. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all that is. You sustain us by your very word faithfully, lovingly, graciously, with mercy and slow to anger. You guide us, lead us, direct us in our imperfect ways. Lord, you are the author of faith the one in whom our faithfulness depends. Help us, Lord, to fully trust in you as the one who directs and leads our lives. May we be led by you and only you. Amen.